Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. And welcome to yet another episode of the Wines Love by Donkeys podcast. Uh, I am Joe, and with me today is host of You Don't Know History, Mike McGinnis, again, returning champion. The returning champ, yes. Uh, it's this. I'm, I'm trying to get on your level, man. All right, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm and you actually five. have to go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to five uh, patrons now on Patreon, so I'm, I'm almost there, dude. I'm almost Hell yeah. There. I I remember when I started, like I we I rarely talk about how like this is my job now. Uh and I don't like regret that by any means, but I remember when Nick and I started our Patreon, I was like, SoundCloud is charging me fifteen dollars a month. I don't want to pay this. <laughs> that's that's the whole reason why I started it. And now like there's like fifteen hundred people on it. Um it's kind of baffling. Uh but I mean Fuck if I could do it. Literally anybody can do it. Yeah, um, dude, that's how I that's how I figured, man. Like I've lucked out. Like we broke fifty one hundred listens today for the podcast, dude. So like for fourteen episodes, that's nothing to like, you know, shake your ass at. You know, that's that's a nice little turnout. So I'm hopefully, you know, with me being able to do a couple more bonus episodes and if I ever learn how to stream properly and that goes well, like that'll help, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I, I never know. quite figured out streaming and then i then i got very uh disinterested in it i got as disinterested in it as i got as fast as i got interested in it yeah you well know? dude like i would love to play video games on it but i'm like a straight console guy and i'm not that good so oh, like, i suck at every game that i play <laughs> which was like an in joke like oh joe's just getting murdered all the time like <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Uh, thankfully, I was better at war in person. Otherwise, this podcast wouldn't happen. Oh, uh, dude, yeah, that's that's how. Like, <laughs> the, the last time I played like a war game, I had like a twelve-year-old kid talk shit to me, and that hurt my feelings so bad. I was like, I'm never playing Call of Duty. It's just I'm not I, doing. It. <laughs> I, did you really play Call of Duty if you didn't get shit talked by a twelve-year-old or someone like call you a racial slur? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's part of the prereqs. Like you have to sign it in the terms of use uh, that you will be verbally berated by uh, <laughs> a preteen at some point. You know, I, uh, you know, growing up, I was playing Xbox Live, right? And I have to say, in a time before moderation, that these kids today, I don't think they'd make it. Yeah. Like you couldn't get banned off Xbox Live. You really couldn't. It was impossible. Oh, no, it was I, I'm pretty sure that you could say whatever you wanted to on Xbox Live. Like, yeah, even the yeah. quiet stuff that people won't say in public. I'm pretty sure they were saying in public on Xbox Live. And it you was, could like send messages and there's always like grotesque death threats. Granted, I get those like on Twitter now, but like they're always yeah. from like burner accounts because even Twitter will ban those. Yeah. But like Xbox Live, like had no like there was you could mute people, I think. 
I know there wasn't a lot of built-in moderation tools and nobody gave a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bill, Bill Gates just wanted to make his money. He wasn't worried about making a safe environment for people to game. Well, it's a lot like, you know, we'll get on topic eventually. People who leave bad comments <laughs> about me taking 20 minutes to get to the topic. Um, but like, I think it's a lot like Facebook. Yeah. Like when no, like nobody had any idea how humans would interact when you gave them anonymity and an internet connection. They're like, Oh, it just turns out everybody sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, now we got to quickly backpedal and clean this up. Um, and, and it's now been 30 odd years and nobody's, nobody's really done it yet. No. No. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like we're, humanity is not supposed to be that connected. I say, as we're looking at each other on a Skype call for a podcast yeah. <laughs> across the, an entire Pacific ocean and continental United States. Yeah. But, you know, I, I agree with you there because like, dude, or I think if you're going to have this kind of like super connectability, uh, it's, it's should only be, be between certain people. I don't think I should, like some people should not be allowed to reach out and talk to everybody because like you, I get death threats uh, for, you know, a whole other reason. Um, and it's just like, bro, you can't spell like, you know, half the words in, in, in their little tweet are misspelled or in their instant message or whatever. Right. And then I just try and be as nice as I can be. Um, I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I throw out the old Southern thing. Bless your heart. Thank you for your message. And then they just get more pissed <laughs> off. Um, I always like some like hearts back or I screenshot it because it's funny. <laughs> one, one day I'm actually going to get cornered. Uh, like when the Prod Boys threatened to show up to my uh, book signing in Seattle that I still went to and they didn't show up. Oh, like, okay. uh, I'm going to be like, oh, you're the guy who spelled something incorrectly. And they're just going to like stab me again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think, um, let's face it i don't think there's ever been a proud boy that's opened up a book or a dictionary so i, I really question uh, many of their members ability to spell and speak real sentences well it's like one of those weird things that i always get death uh, death threats whenever i uh put out uh book events like it's yeah. not a seal like literally the whole point of the book event is you know the place and time of where i'm currently going to be like <laughs> and like i've never even had anybody come up and like troll me well i did have like a crazy ass old guy once but oh, that wasn't his fault he got out of a home somewhere and went to a bar which i could respect because <laughs> like in a long enough timeline if i somehow don't die by the age of 50 or my brain doesn't turn to complete smuckers jelly that's probably my future but like he showed up and was like huge in a q stuff um and i slithered out from behind the chair and pawned him off on somebody else and hid in the bathroom until they left. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that's you know what when you when you're doing a book event, you've got somebody from like the public, you know, the the, the publication uh, company or the publication house. That's their job. Okay, you you get the cue guy while I go hide in the bathroom. Okay, there's no need, there's no need to further savage my poor agent. Sherry has to deal with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mike. Uh, I don't know how to frame this question. This is the first time I've ever talked about this country, I think, on this podcast. Um, and it's Albania. How are you feeling about Alba our good friends, Albania? And I do need to preface this with, once upon a time, we were the top podcast in Albania for some reason. So, <laughs> I will, I will, I will keep this into the crowd. Okay. I'm going to keep, I'll keep that in mind. But what I know about Albania, let's see. Um, it's a, a small Balkan country. It was invaded by Italy. 
uh, in like 1939, I think. And they have a diaspora community in Kosovo that went around uh, drop kicking Serbs for a little bit. So I respect the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like everything in the Balkans. I'm going to say 10 things. And there's going to be 15 very angry people in the in any comment section. And I see you. I hear you. And I don't care. Um, <laughs> and, and like, I get it. It's the same thing whenever I talk about Armenia or Azerbaijan or Turkey. You get the weirdest, most violently like reactionary nationalists and racists in your comments. Um, not saying Albania would do that. Albania is great. Number one. Um, we love you. <laughs> yes. Again, I'll I don't know why we were the top podcast in Albania. I've never once said an Albanian word on this show. I don't even know if Albanian's a language. I'm pretty sure it is, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to uh, I, I say they have their own language. Um, and I, I want, and I hope nobody takes offense to this, but I have always had trouble keeping up with any Balkan, you know, language from the Balkans, like Serbian, like Serbo Croat. Or Croatian, or they do Slovenian. have their own language. I just had to Google okay. it while I was recording. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, Albania, we love you. I'm with Joe on this one. Albania, you are aces in my book. Number one, don't let anybody shit talk you. Now, um, we do have to talk about a lot of bad things that happened to Albania, and one of those bad things that happened was pyramid schemes. Um. Now, as anybody in the military, like Mike and myself, were, you're probably pretty familiar with pyramid schemes as being those things that sucker all the spouses into, um, or the I lieutenants, do, or your lieutenants, or, man, or you, or you're just like I had a lot of <laughs> NCOs that are involved. Your first line supervisor trying to get you like a lawyer on speed dial or whatever. <laughs> I, I had one of those in my platoon. It was uh, prepaid legal, uh, and he got like everyone in the platoon as like a downline except me because I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, mine of uh, my one of my exos actually two straight exos did the uh like the healthcare supplements. Oh, perfect! Is it Amway? I think. Yeah, I, I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. but it was like or Herbalife. You know, it's Herbalife. Yes, yes yeah. that's the. They sponsor a whole fucking soccer team in L.A. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's the it's, Galaxy. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, Beckham's team. That's that's yep. all I remember of that. But yeah, they would they would come in with like their shakes and be like, hey, man, if you guys want to look like me, uh, you know, and then one of them ended up going and being like one of the top earners, dude. And like he got to go to L.A. and be feted by, you know, all the Herbalife people, you know, and it's just like, wow, man, um, you know, I could have had that life, but I have, you know, morals and uh, you, know. <laughs> you, could, you couldn't make a living exploiting people. Um, no, no. <laughs> now, I. I don't know enough about pyramid schemes to fully explain like banking and fraud and stuff, mostly because I'm not qualified to do that. So I found somebody who could or a website anyway, Investopedia. Uh, I'm sure a website that is very popular with people that we strongly dislike by the name. <laughs> um, they do do a very decent explanation of what a pyramid scheme is. So I'm going to read it verbatim. Um, so nobody can like say I'm fucking this up. So a pyramid scheme is a sketchy and unsustainable business model where a few top level members recruit newer members who pay upfront costs up the chain to those who enrolled them. 
as newer members in turn recruit underlings under their own, a portion of the subsequent fees they receive is also sent up the chain to the person that recruited them. Now, let's assume the following. Founder Mike sits alone at the top of the heap, represented by the number one. Assuming Mike recruits 10 second-tiered people to the level directly below him, where each newbie must issue him a cash payment for the privilege of joining. Not only do those recruits, um, those tier, was it second-tier people yep. recruit 10 tier three people of their own totaling a hundred people who also must pay tier uh, must pay fees up the tier through two and one. Uh, in the end, Mike makes all the money. Now, yeah, if you remember uh, Bernie Madoff, he, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like a, a, a sectioned off part like that. Remember for him, it was investments like here, I'm going to invest your money for you. Um, that's a Ponzi scheme, and a Ponzi oh, scheme right, is right, yeah. part of a of a of a pyramid scheme okay. in effect. So, according to hard sell pitches made at recruitment events, those bold enough to take the pyramid plunge will theoretically receive substantial cash from the recruits below them that they have to go find. But in practice, the prospective members uh, in these pools tend to dry up very quickly because, I mean, by this business model, you either like the end goal is everyone is involved in your company, everyone on earth. That, and that, that doesn't even actually, someone once did the math of how many cycles that would take. And it's actually not that many. You know, like a hundred people recruit a hundred people recruit a hundred people. Yeah. And then so on and so on down the line. Anyway, eventually you're going to run out of people to, to sucker. And by the time this scheme uh, almost always shuts down, sometimes by the law, mostly it just comes crumbling down because people get fucked over or Mike in this situation, not you idea. Mike pyramid, Mike yeah. uh, fucks off with all the money. Cause he realizes the wall is closing in. Um, these top level operatives walk away with loads of cash while the majority of everyone else we are left empty handed or in many cases, loads of fucking debt. Um, now there's a couple different kinds of pyramid schemes. Uh, some rely heavily on fees from new recruits. And uh, some of these that the quote unquote just pyramid schemes do not sell anything. The, then there is, they don't. Oh, let me rephrase that. They don't sell anything of any intrinsic value. Okay. Uh, then the then there's the MLM or the multi level marketing company. These are the things that we're familiar with because an outright pyramid scheme is just straight up illegal. Um, an MLM is a gray zone. It should absolutely be illegal. But they do sell something, um, say like you know vacuums, supplements, or knives, or yeah. <laughs> legal advice. Um, uh, now legging, leggings, leggings, or like or like is that Lululemon <laughs> that's like that, or is there a different one? I think no, Lululemon, isn't it? I don't know. I know. I think that's a chain. I don't know enough about women's pants. Me I don't neither. fucking know. <laughs> um, now, probably the most popular and damaging scheme up until the one we are going to talk about in Albania is the one uh, that involved Bernie Madoff. And that was a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Ponzi schemes are investment cons that work with the premise of robbing Peter to pay Paul. So they may not necessarily adopt a pyramid scheme structure with that, that pyramid structure with, you know, Bernie Madoff in this sense being on top, but they do promise high returns to existing investors by taking investment money from new blood. Uh, often lured by the prospects of too good to be true returns. Most Ponzi participants end up losing everything. Uh, what would happen is like for say, 
I'm your banking guy. I've opened Lions Bank, Donkey Bank, whatever. Um, donk coin. And <laughs> you know, it's only like, a matter of time before that happens now, man. Yeah. And this <laughs> bank is you and fifteen hundred people in the Patreon. And like I get I tell everyone, if you give me your five dollars for your tier or whatever, I can promise you twenty dollars back in six months. And I you might get your money. Maybe some of it, you won't get the whole amount. But what I'm doing is I'm simply paying you with other new people's money yeah. while slowly keeping more and more from my own. So uh, again, like every other pyramid scheme, I'm going to run out of people and eventually everything's going to crash out. Uh, and I might make off with a lot of money. I might end up in prison, but you're definitely ending up with nothing. Yeah, dude. I remember Madoff most especially because I'm a sports nerd. And remember, that's how they got the Wilpons, the guys who own the Mets. It's always the Mets guys. Yeah. Like, I'm not a baseball guy, but like, I know enough about like generality is about sports. Like, it's always people that own the Mets that, that end up getting fucked over because they're yeah. just, the owner is so stupid. Dude, yeah. And that was the thing. They, like, they almost got cleaned out. And essentially, the Mets were the most valuable thing they owned, but they couldn't put any money into the team. And they're in the largest TV market in the United States. You know, the Yankees are over there spending like. <laughs> The Yankees, I think, one year spent close to like two hundred and fifty million on salary, and the Mets were like at eighty mil. Jesus, um, yeah, pretty so, Madoff had all their fucking money. Oh, dude, yeah. And the thing is, they just got sold to um, uh, Steve Phelps, I believe, who's one of the largest hedge fund managers like in the country. Oh, perfect. I'm sure that won't go badly. Yeah, yeah. I think his name is Phelps, but oh, let's get back on topic. All right, I could, I get, I could talk the Mets financials all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so this and, and like Madoff's scheme was so big he damn near crashed the world's economy yeah which fuck Bernie Madoff however sometimes you have to sit back and admire the grift like he I've, I have never seen interviews with him I don't care enough about economics to give a shit but he must have been the smoothest motherfucker to ever live because he never had any he, he was just lying and people took his fucking word for it yeah, and he, I mean, he was fixing the books and stuff like that. So he's like, "Yeah, look at all these returns. I'm giving you five hundred percent." Now, remember, yeah. he, while we go on, remember he's conning people who are supposed to know better. Yeah, he's conning people who own the fucking Mets, billionaires, millionaires, multiple different uh, state and county retirement funds and stuff. So, and like these people who are supposed to be accountants and all these other kind of guys, business managers or whatever, got conned into these things. So that isn't always the case. And MLMs in particular target poor people, uh, people who do not have a firm grasp on investment or money. So it's really easy to fuck someone over. So you don't see the big picture. Like, like don't you want to own your own business and shit like that? Uh, it's, they target people that have no realistic hope of moving up our societal ladder because the American dream is a fucking lie. Um, Herbalife and and others like it, for instance, heavily target uh, newly immigrated um, like uh, Latino people, yeah, um, who barely speak English, and like, yep, go sell our fucking supplements to all your neighbors who we also suckered into this, yeah. Um, so it's badly fucked up. Um, now that you kind of understand that, we have to understand Albania. Though through most of its history that we will be talking about, its technical term was the People's Socialist Republic of Albania. For a very long period of time, from 1946 to 1992, give or take, uh, it was ruled by one guy, Enver Hoxha. 
Uh, Hoekstra was born a Muslim, uh, though a faith he would later renounce in favor of state-based atheism. Uh, he was named after Enver Pasha by his father, something that's uh, personally problematic to me. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I, th- I thought we were going to be able to get away through one episode without having a reference to a war crime, Joe. And it just it's circle never back meant to around be. every time, baby. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, as he was born in the Ottoman Empire, I can hardly blame him for that. Um, though he eventually moved to France uh, to go to college, uh, which was common for people of um, the higher rungs, uh, you know, to leave to go to college somewhere else in Europe. Especially so, in France, uh, especially in France. Yeah. There was actual, if I remember correctly, there was an educational exchange with uh, like higher up the hierarchy, uh, Ottoman citizens. Uh, being able to go to university in Paris for like nothing, you know. Yeah, there was a there was a long period of time. Uh, I mean, the Ottoman Empire really didn't know if it wanted to be a cosmopolitan European empire or its own caliphate at various different parts of its existence. But it, it's it, it's an exchange of knowledge. It's pretty common. Yeah. But Hoekshaw lost his state scholarship for being a huge dumbass and failing almost immediately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and of course, he ended up in power. Of course. of course, yeah. I mean, he did end up in power for arguably good reasons. He moved back uh, to Albania in 1939. Fascist Italy invaded the small country during Mussolini's comical attempt to recreate the Roman Empire. Um, now, at this point, Hoekshire became a partisan and a pretty goddamn good one. By 1946, Albania was liberated and Hoekshire had managed to politic his way into becoming the first secretary of the only legal party in the country, the Communist Party, which, of course, made him the head of state. Of course. Yeah. Um, Now, unfortunately for everyone, rather than like, I don't know, be a Tito in this situation, he became a Stalin. Uh, and he was actually uh, just a straight up Stalinist. He loved him some some of that Jay Stalls. Oh, yeah, he really did. (laughs) um everything i've ever read it's it's only been small chunks uh he he became the ultimate uh stalin fanboy um i'm surprised he didn't grow the mustache you know it just (laughs) he just couldn't you know like it's it's like guys who really want to uh like it that i mean your beard is magnificent i can grow a thick beard like you know that there was that that whole you know consumerists blow up a couple of years ago. There were people trying to sell like beard oils and shit. And you know, there was like people who absolutely wanted to get into that aesthetic, but just couldn't cause they just couldn't grow a beard. <laughs> Maybe he's like, man, the only thing between me and, and, and Joseph is I just can't grow a beard. Fuck. Or a mustache. Get, I can't get that sweet mustache, man. This is, I'm, yeah. you know what, Albanian people, you're gonna, you're gonna feel my rage on this one. <laughs> a lot of people have daddy issues. He, he, he has mustache issues. <laughs> um, he did do um, some good things. Uh, to be fair, Albania was incredibly rural and underdeveloped when he took over. It didn't even have a university, um, and he dragged Albania into the present day, kicking and screaming and. The same way Joseph Stalin did in the Soviet Union, which was industrial scale murder, uh, mostly through neglect and disappearing of his political enemies. Um, though the friendship with the Soviets would sour pretty badly for reasons that are pretty obvious. Joseph Stalin died. Um, <laughs> that was it. Uh, <laughs> and he really did not like Nikita Khrushchev. Um, it's because Nikita didn't rock that stash, man. That's all not it is. Only- 
Yeah, not only did he not have a cool stash, he had no hair, and he also denounced Stalin. Those are three yeah. things that Hoaxia yeah. cannot abide by. Yeah, but I, I will I will say Nikita did the right. I like I would have killed to have seen him bang his shoe on the, you know, on the uh, podium at the UN. I would have loved to have just seen. Uh, I think yeah. that's a, that is some crazy rage, man. He is an interesting character because, like, even his contemporaries in the Soviet Union kind of thought he was a fucking clown. But, I mean, he smashed shoes and then, like, debated Richard Nixon in a fake kitchen one time. It was fucking weird. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm half tempted. I got to find a Russian history scholar just so I can do a whole episode on Khrushchev. Like, that's what I think I need to do. <laughs> now, when this happened, Albania decided we got to move closer to the other giant communist power that's not even remotely nearby, China. Oh, yeah, sounds right. Now, whenever anything bad happened with Albania at this point, he decided he'd blame it on the Soviets uh, because they hated Albania for turning against them, which is kind of true, honestly, yeah. uh, that the Soviets hated them, not that the KGB was constantly fucking with them. Or also Yugoslavia. Um, he really hated Yugoslavia. Uh, really? Yeah. I, I figured if he's moving away from the Soviet Union, that's like a buddy that is like right next door that you can be like, hey, we can work together. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell. Um, he was a weird guy. Um, at one point, he uh, his, his own party, because, um, you know, hypothetically, the first or the, the chairman of the Communist Party is supposed to be able to have to answer to his own party, um, even though they never really do. Uh, his his party was like, hey, we're kind of unhappy with how you're running Albania. And they all quickly got disappeared and replaced with his close friends and family. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> I'm sure like Stalin is just like giving him a, a slight head nod for the afterlife. Like, yeah. well done. Well done, you know, child. You know, you know what, Enver? We could have been pals. We could have been better pals. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, at this point, uh, Hoaxia replaced Stalinism with his version of Maoism. Um, he also adopted like the concept of people's war and stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit more later on because he He's a little bit of a, of a dogmatic guy. And by that mean, he follows things to the letter at a very stupid level. Uh, but he, w- he got very into Maoism. But then in the 1970s, Mao died, uh, leading him to split off from China. Like, he, he really didn't believe in like any kind of successor. Because at this point, he's outlived all of these people. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's oh like, huh. Clearly, only I can be the leader here because you guys are mortals and just keep fucking dying. I mean, oh, he would live damn near until the 90s. I, I, I think he died in the late, late 80s. I think um, but dude, can you imagine like being that guy that's just like a follower and you see all your like uh, your paragons dying off? I get to see him like sitting there with like a coffee, just like, you know what? I'm the man left. <laughs> I'm here to lead the people. By by rules of the first international, the last head of state of a communist party left standing becomes its leader. Obviously, (laughs) it's it's the Kumite, but for communist leaders, it's a Thailander for communist leaders. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at this point, Hoaxia realized that only Albania could only rely on Albania since all of their big daddy states keep dying. Uh, So he kind of decided that he would do the European version of Juche. Oh, I, dude, Joe, I knew you were going there. I knew you were going there. I was hoping you wouldn't go there, but you did. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, uh, to his credit, he's not wrong. Um, like, as someone who does a lot of history research regarding Armenia, 
small states with no real resources. Nobody gives a fuck about you except you. Everybody's yeah. trying to play you. So like hoax is like, you know, nobody gives a shit about Albania except Albania. So we're just going to do Albanian stuff over here. And at this point, it officially becomes illegal to leave or come into the country. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and okay. one of the ways that Albania would have to take care of itself was defense. And remember, he had pissed off China, kind of. He'd really pissed off the Soviet Union. He thought Czechoslovakia was trying to murder him in his sleep. So, like, he just, like, painted all these enemies that probably didn't really give a fuck about him. Um, though, admittedly, like, he had seen other people that told the Soviets to go fuck themselves get invaded. Yeah. So, like, this isn't so, like, this is, he blew it way out of proportion. But also, it was something that happened. Yeah. Um, so, like, he decided that he needed to buckle down and Albania needed to prepare itself for any of these possible wars. So, one big downside of this, much like Armenia I just talked about, Albania's fucking tiny and has a population of around 2 million people. Um, you're not going to be able to create an effective defense force that's going to fight off the Soviets or the Chinese with that somehow, yeah. that, or the, the Yugoslavs. Uh, not that China's going to be in fucking Albania, but, you know, he talked about it. Um, <laughs> but, oh, Enver, there was a lot of ground to cover between Albania and China, bro. <laughs> yeah, a lot if, of ground. <laughs> if China is knocking on your door, other things have happened that have taken Albania <laughs> out of the equation. Um, now, it's like I said, you're not going to be able to build a well-trained, highly effective defense force out of a population of two million people. You're going to create a speed bump. But let's say he was going to do that. Small problem. Hoxha hated the fucking military. Uh, he was never in the military. He was a partisan. Yeah. So he was never a general or whatever. And he said, you know what? He sat down along all of the people too terrified to tell him this is a bad idea. He's like, we don't need a military. We've liberated Albania with militia. Let's just do that. Oh, God. He's a libertarian's wet dream. <laughs> now uh, there was a part of chinese history which is long past uh this is mostly around the era leading up to their involvement in the korean war that the chinese military abolished ranks um and uh leaders of squads and, and other organizations would uh, be voted on and the only real control be by political officers none of whom had no normal military training yeah now um China banned this because it did not fucking work. And it became incredibly apparent how bad of an idea it was. Hoaxia did not. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, China had the experience of fighting in Korea. I'd be like, huh, I guess like a, a chain of command is a good idea. Uh, Hoaxia never fought any wars. So he, uh, never, he, he never got like slapped upside the head and told to check his bad ideas. Dude, and the, the thing is, is, there hasn't been a piece of history where uh, a 100% militia-based military organization has been successful. Like, I mean, the closest in modern day would be like the SDF um, yeah. in you know, Rojava, but they also have a marketed chain of command for that exact reason. Yeah, and they, they I mean, they had some, I mean, I would say they had some experience fighting, you know, and, and you know, but you're not going to have like, we're not voting for our company commanders, you know, we're not voting for our squad leaders. That's a bad idea. It's a real bad idea. It's a horrible idea. That's how, that's how we end up in charge of uh, Sierra Leone, man. Okay. That's, that's how that happened. <laughs> I mean, that, 
people being really loyal to generals and officers that give them whatever they want so they can curry favor is how we got Julius Caesar. So yeah. maybe it's not the best idea to create personality cults around military leaders uh, based on popularity. Um, now, like I said, Hoaxia was pretty obsessed with this concept of, of, of a partisan fighting force. Now, there was a regular Albanian military, but it was effectively a skeleton. Nope. Everything else would be based on a decentralized militia. Hypothetically, there's an idea of how to control all these. It's never put into place. Uh, and because Hoaxia never used anything except his chevrolet legs to go fight a war, he thought, we don't need that many vehicles either. So uh, 70% of the entire force was technically infantry. There was uh, almost no mechanization ever attempted. And uh, all of its weapons were old and decrepit because he had pissed off both the Chinese and the Soviets. So he couldn't get, he couldn't get, uh, he get shit. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't get, uh, you know, ammo and weapon sugar mama to drop some stuff for him. Right. Oh. He managed to be the only communist country in the world that didn't get like the communist weapons pipeline. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing when Tito like said, told Stalin to fuck himself. Right. He went, stumping around the world and created the non-aligned nation movement, right? Mm -hmm. And then look at what Yugoslavia did. And I mean, you can't really compare the two, right? Because Yugoslavia was much bigger and probably, you know, as far as resource-wide, probably had more than Albania. But they just started making their own shit. That's how, yeah. we, got, that's how we got the gem, the Yugo. Uh, one of the most worthless automobiles ever, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, they made a car. They, they had a car. Now, Albania did have some resources. Now we're going to talk a little bit about where those resources went. Oh. Bunkers. Uh, now, if there's one thing people knew when they saw the title of this show or this episode, rather, they the first thing that probably jumped to their mind when they thought Albania was bunkers. There's a very good reason for that. Now, Albania would always be fighting a defensive war. They're never going to invade anyone. Yeah. Um, and they would need defenses to fight from. So in 1950 Hoaxia and an in, had an engineer build a bunker prototype that was cheap and easily constructed mostly out of unreinforced poured concrete though eventually they'd become reinforced and they're incredibly fucking sturdy so the guy did and he came up with something that looks like a, just a, a concrete dome sticking out of the ground with a single gun port some would eventually evolve to have two gun ports um, and when Hoaxia asked him if it was sturdy and secure he said yeah so Hoaxia made him prove it by stuffing him inside of it and running him over with a tank. Holy shit. Um, which, good for the engineer, it held up. Um, didn't collapse. Uh, that was considered good enough. Oh, um, man. I, I don't think anybody told Hoaxia, like, I don't think they're going to run these over. They're going to shoot them. But, yeah. okay, cool. Well, fine, whatever. Let's, let's, let's do it your way, bro. <laughs> Just tell him it's a good idea, dude. Don't piss him off. <laughs> Yeah, he might stuff you in the next bunker. And that one, I ran out of fucking concrete. <laughs> now, anybody who studies military history knows that we have laughed at more than a few bad fixed defensive positions throughout history. The Maginot Line comes to mind. Um, but Hoaxia's bunker fever puts all of these to shame. A defensive line requires you, you know, one position sporting another with effective intersecting fields of fire in order to create a massive kill zone. Long yeah. story short, yeah, this a good, is a good defense in depth. Yeah, this includes trenches, even like hastily built foxholes 
or you know ranger graves or whatever you're going to put them close enough together so they can support one another because it turns out one or two guys at half of a hole in the ground not a great fighting position <laughs> if nobody else is around to help them <laughs> uh decided he didn't need any of that fucking bullshit oh Hundreds of thousands of these bunkers are built seemingly at total random all throughout the country. Many of them all alone in the middle of nowhere or some <laughs> in the middle of the fucking street in the in busy cities. Oh, my God, dude. Sometimes they were just plopped down at the corner of like housing projects. <laughs> One is just on the beach and it gets like submerged when tide comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine being like, like it's your, it's your week, your, your, your monthly drill, and you're the militia guy that's got to go in and just man your post there on the beach for the weekend. If you leave the bunker, the political officer will shoot you. But sir, it's high tide. You'll die a hero. <laughs> we'll give your medal to your parents. Uh-oh. Now these bunkers, another part of like a fight, a, a defensive array of positions like this that would be important is communication, right? Uh, you know, an overall somewhat vision of command to try to, you know, supply and talk to and get orders to these bunkers, right? Um, nope. Mm-mm. Instead, they would just be the responsibilities of the families who happen to live nearby. <laughs> Not only would they be their response to defend it, uh, they'd also be their job to maintain and keep it clean. Like, oh, yeah, good thing I know how to fix this concrete fucking dome. I work at the coffee house, you asshole. <laughs> oh, no, no, Alexei, I can't go out with you tonight. I got to go sweep out and mop the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, did you did you dust the dome today? Just with a little fucking feather duster. Now, they were drilled several times a month without any warning at all for days at a time. Like. Now, another important thing of this would be like, we need to figure if we're going to use this as a system, say like we're going to arm the whole country effectively. We're going to turn the whole country into a fighting position. People need guns, right? Need guns and ammo. Didn't get them. Did not get them. Because, you know, like all tyrants, you can't arm your fucking populace. They'll kill you. So when um, when drill month or week came up or whatever, they would be issued out weapons that had no ammunition. No, <laughs> these people ever fucking fired their guns at all. <laughs> also, oh, yeah. none of the radios are sorry. None of the uh, bunkers had radios, So there's no way to talk to one another. Are you, dude, even the Maginot, <laughs> the Maginot line even had communications trenches, man, that were lined with like telegraph wire and telephone. wire. Like, Oh God. Now You were a paratrooper. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. Okay, so this is my somehow out of all this, this is one of my favorites. Um, you know, obviously, so if you jump back in time when like you guys would you know jump, um, yeah. you would be aiming for fields and stuff like that. Um, now, Hoaxia was worried about paratroopers, like storms of the the airborne guards of the Soviet Union would would land all through Albania or whatever. So he's like, aha, I have an idea. We'll simply attach spikes to the top of the trees. No. <laughs> like, they're not going to be fucking landing in the trees anyway. <laughs> so he had like a whole army of like young pioneers go out and just affix giant metal spikes to trees. 
Oh, this this only this just gets better and better, man. (laughs) What if we turned the whole forest into a phalanx? I mean, well, in 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 inverse defense, um, I don't know if you know about this little operation called Market Garden, but it didn't exactly (laughs) go well. And if you know anything else about 82nd history, when we jumped into Panama, do you know how many of them actually hit the airfield? Only about not many. Only about a quarter of them. Everybody else was landing on the buildings that were around the airport. Well, that's why you use a whole division. If you throw enough paratroopers at a problem, you'll solve the problem. Or at the very least, you'll have less paratroopers. Yes, that's true. So you, don't have worry, you don't have to worry about feeding them anymore. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, paratroopers are just like orcs. Uh, no, dude, if we're going disposable, we're Imperial Guard. Okay, <laughs> just massive bodies, massive amounts of bodies being thrown at the issue. Eventually, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> now, the problem of everything we just talked about, of course, is that in reality, building hundreds of thousands of bunkers is very hard and expensive to do. Uh, it requires a lot of material. At one point, all of this cost 2% of all material product produced by the entire nation of Albania. God damn. Uh, it cost the equivalent of two Maginot lines and required three times as much concrete. I mean, I'm not arguing the success of the Maginot line. However, I am arguing that it's a much better idea. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, we fucking bar. Yeah. You know, like we, we make fun of the Maginot line. Right. But the thing is, if I mean, you know, this is a whole other thing. Like we can talk about it some other time, but quickly, like, France was decimated after the First World War. They were not able to fill like their conscription. Uh, oh, everybody was dead or yeah, disabled. Exactly. So like they, <laughs> they could only man it with, I think, uh, like maybe half the people that it was supposed to be manned by. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I, I'm going to give the French a pass there because let's face it. If Germany is ever going to go anywhere, you know, they're going through the low countries, bro. You should have built that ship further north to, now, to cut them. <laughs> hear me out. What if every neighborhood in France gets owned Maginot line? Oh, bro. Boom. Yes. And for Hoaxa, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. France just started building domes, man. <laughs> if Ember wasn't busy fucking around and failing out of college, he literally could have built France's defenses for them. <laughs> Disregard walls, embrace domes. Um, now... Obviously, a whole two percent of a national uh, of total national output, which is in, in incredible amounts of material. This pulled time and investment away from things like infrastructure development or like literally anything else would yeah. have been more useful. Literally setting the money on fire would have been better use because then people would be warm in the winter. Yeah, um, dude, they could have built their own version of the Yugo. Like, come on, you can't beat that. (laughs) Also, a small problem with building thousands upon thousands of bunkers in arable land is that then you can't farm on it. (laughs) God damn you, Enver. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow building these fucking things also managed to kill 100 people a year. What? (laughs) I don't know how. Oh, you know what? I'm assuming that they ran out of rebar. Like, I got an idea. We'll reinforce it using human bones. Get inside. Get it. Get in. (laughs) No, you know exactly how it killed 100 people. It's it's a it's a hundred militia members that went fucking around and found out these things. <laughs> All of them were just from the beach bunkers drowning every year. <laughs> this meant that they killed way more Albanians than they ever would invaders, thousands yeah. of times over. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Enver. Well done. Though well. I do have to say the quality of their construction is not in doubt. Due to the, how well they were built. 
and are secured to where they were built, they were incredibly fucking hard to remove. And that's why they're mostly still all over the place in Albania today and causing all kinds of problems. Dude, I want to kind of go to Albania just to see these fucking things, man. I would love to go. Me and Nick joked that when we became the top podcast in Albania, our first live show ever was going to be in Albania. I'm not fucking kidding. Bro, I'll fucking dude, do it. I, I, <laughs> dude, I want to be there. It's just like, I, I'll, I'll hold a boob mic or something, dude. Be <laughs> <laughs> some shitty dive bar in Tirana. <laughs> yeah, Lions by Tirana, baby. Let's fucking go. If you're Albanian, slide to my email. Tell me how we can make this happen. I'm, I'm going to get vaccinated at the end of the month. Everything's good. Now, um, they, so they keep causing problems, and Hoaxa is, is and was completely insane. Um, he considered everything about these bunkers to be a highly guarded state secret. And some of these bunkers, for instance, were considered uh, like integral to the state's defense. So like in 2005, someone found a random unmarked bunker only a few miles away from the Capitol, which contained 16 tons of mustard gas. Holy shit. <laughs> Totally unsecure and unguarded. Everyone's like, oh, look well, at all the fucking mustard gas I found. Oh my and God. nobody's sure how, when it got there, how long it had been there, or who the fuck made it. Uh, <laughs> They're like, uh, a wild mustard gas appears. You know, it's shit like that that makes War Dogs, you know, that shitty like movie based on real life events. Yeah, that's it, a, this is exactly how this happened. Yeah, it, it makes it so much more plausible. Like, I feel like I could just go into the mustard gas business right now and have no issue getting stock. You missed out. It peaked in 2005, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I believe they, uh, they like, asked someone because, like, they lack the ability to properly dispose of it. And I think, like, the U.S. and Italy disposed of it for them. I assume that means we gave it to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Israel, you need some mustard gas? <laughs> yeah. About this Albanian shit. <laughs> Be careful. We don't know how long it's been there. Uh, it was unsecured for a bit. <laughs> it's a little water damaged. It's like trying to sell like an old Nintendo DS or something. <laughs> I don't know. I found it at the bottom of my old table. It's a little wonky. It still works. PSP um, is great, man. It's, it's yeah. great. Yep. Now, eventually, Hoaxa would die um, and communism would fall apart in Albania. And after that, a guy named Sali Barisha would come to power to guide it through the new way of liberal democracy. Mm. Yeah, if, if you if you hear that, that's that's the sound of bad tidings coming for Albania. In reality, yeah. Barisha was a fucking dick uh, and he imprisoned most of his political opponents. Uh, someone pointed out that he attempted to do liberalism with uh, Soviet characteristics. Oh, my God. Which is the most terrifying sentence I've read in a very long time. Like, <laughs> He tried to just like liberalize the economy while keeping all of the horrible, oppressive state uh, things in place that were already there. Oh, oh. So well, like, what if you could go to Walmart, but get disappeared by the KGB? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it seems legit. That, I mean, that was un- one of the unfortunate aspects of the um, Soviet Union falling. And then you had all the former Soviet satellite states, uh, you know, you end up with presidents for life and quite a few of them you know, sometimes and, you get two azerbaijan yeah uh, there we go <laughs> yeah. oh, um fuck you azerbaijan <laughs> yeah. get a fuck azerbaijan in the chat um <laughs> now <laughs> they might have to cut that out i'm not yeah. sure how many times i could say fuck azerbaijan and stay on topic <laughs> um 
Now this uh, this is the uh, the part of the story where we get to talk about a very stupid economic idea called shock doctrine, mm. um, or some people call it shock therapy, because um, you know that always equates good things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, shock shock therapy is a, a net positive, right? Yeah, it's not always used in movies and books as like a way that someone was driven into insanity or died. Also in life, because that yeah. happened a lot. Um, now. Again, I'm not an economist, so I'm going to do my best job that I, that I can to explain shock doctrine without going into it too much. Because like all of the sources on this like referred to books, and like I'm not reading a whole fucking book and a foot, footnote to this goddamn episode. Yeah. So I mean, and especially when you when you start reading books about shock doctrine, uh, especially where we are politically, you're going to want to like find the nearest heavy traffic and then throw yourself into it. You either go further left or you work for McKinsey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, all these newly emerging countries into the quote-unquote world market, you know, all the Soviet satellite states, Russia itself, then Albania, um, just so there's no confusing, Albania was not part of the Soviet Union. I'm not, I'm not conflating the two. They were separate. I'm referring that because a lot of it was built on Soviet ideas, but he called it hoaxism because if I was then come up with a political, I would name it after myself too. Especially when you're the last man standing. Yeah, when you're the last guy, name that shit after yourself. The Thunderdome <laughs> of communism. Um, it's like that. Uh, I keep co- coming back to this one movie that Jet Li was in called The One, when yeah. he had to kill other versions of Jet Li to get more powerful. Every time another communist leader died, Enver Hoekstra just got stronger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or like another dome would just pop out of the ground. All those domes in Albania are for every communist leader who should outlive. <laughs> now, uh, shock doctrine was horrible. Uh, did all sorts of terrible things. And what would happen is these countries that were built on a command economy or you know five-year, ten-year plans or whatever uh, that most of these communist governments preferred uh, would come out of that. Uh, and they would embrace a capitalist market economy very quickly. This yeah. meant getting rid of state subsidies, price controls, and everything else that normal people had not only enjoyed, but come to depend upon through all of these years of command economy to the point that a lot of people simply did not understand how things like banks worked. Yeah. Cause they simply never had to deal with it or like having to pay rent, things like that. Um, and and also this needs to be kept in mind as well. It wasn't just the Soviet, you know, the old communist nations in Europe. It right. was also the global South as well, uh, especially mm-hmm. in South America. And uh, oh yeah, uh, famously a place we never did anything bad in, right? Yeah, and, and Milton, <laughs> like, not not to hijack, but Milton Friedman was an economist who was essentially the godfather of the shock doctrine, and he like there he never met uh, a, a post communist dictator he didn't like as long as they open up the markets. Uh, and and denationalized key assets like oil, steel, coal, things like that. Right, and you know, fuck him. Oh uh, yeah, he's oh yeah, vampiric ghoul. Um, now, even in the best case scenario for shock doctrine, what that looks like, I'm not entirely sure because I don't think it ever happened. Um, this is supposed to happen gradually, like because you know you don't want to. Let me put on my liberalism cap, I guess. You don't want to throw everybody to the sharks too quickly. You want to feed them in one by one. Um, 
So you're supposed to cut state subsidies and and price controls and rent control and government issued housing and things like these are all things that Albanians had. Granted, the quality not great. Yep. I'm not saying Albania was a fucking utopia. However, these are all things people didn't have to worry about. Um, Albania would not go into this shock doctrine gradually. It would become virtually overnight. Uh, but in order to talk about how badly this would affect Albania, we do have to point out how isolated Albania had become. Remember how I said that like immigration to and from was illegal uh, and Hoxha had purposely cut them off from everything else. It was this whole political theory, not to mention his paranoia. Um, and according to Albanian law at the time, there was no such thing as private property. You had things that were like your apartment, your car. If you had a car, most, a lot of people didn't have cars, but if you did have a car, uh, they were considered the people's property, i.e. the state, and it was given to you at need. Okay. Um, so, like, you didn't own your house. It was given to you. And it's not like the government was like, knock, knock, motherfucker, time to bounce. Like, unless you just get disappeared or whatever. But, um, <laughs> you know, that little thing. Yeah. I mean, at this point, money in Albania was even kind of pointless. The Soviet Union as a whole ran into this problem as well. Where they're like, why bother? We don't really need it. Um, like, you would work and the government would just give you what they deemed necessary, hypothetically. Obviously, yeah. it's not a perfect system or even a good one. Um, now, imagine it had been this way since the 40s. Uh, it had been a lifetime since anybody had to deal with things like, I don't know, investing money. Or worrying about paying rent on a house, uh, or simply purchasing a car. These are things that nobody had to worry about. Most importantly, banks. Nobody ever had any business with banks. There's no fucking point. You don't yep. need to go get a loan. There's no loans. They're not a thing that exists. Nobody has any day-to-day -day business with like the first bank of Tirana or whatever. <laughs> um, so in an incredibly short amount of time, all of that's gone. Just yeah, capitalism happens. Do capitalism. Do the thing. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Now, the reason for this was Barisha was promised international monetary fund loans and investment. They're like, hey, you open up your shit, you get all of these loans and funds and stuff, which is the IMF is fucking terrifying for what it does to people. Yeah. Um, same with the WTO. But like he was like, all right, let's do this. And then boom, Albania is open. So Barisha did all of this without instituting any new financial regulations or laws at all. So it was, now, it, again, it was a libertarian's wet dream. On accident, yes, because Barisha certainly is not a libertarian. Granted, he's not being damaged anyway. He's in, he's in charge. Yeah. He's never the one that's hurt by these things. Furthermore, nobody had any idea what to do. Like, nobody was ever like, hey, maybe we should make, like, fraud illegal. <laughs> Why would they have to worry about it? They never have to deal with that before. They, nobody had to worry about like white collar crime. There was no fucking stock market last week. You know? Uh, yeah. So at the time, there's only three banks in the country. Um, and none of them were ready for an entire population of people wanting to do investments and get loans and things. Uh, furthermore, their investments were pretty bad. Um, like they're like, yeah, we give you like a 2% return on your investment, which is honestly pretty fucking normal, right? Yeah. It's, it's not normally very high. Um, but they simply could not deal with the amount of people getting involved. Um, 
They couldn't offer accounts that were, you know, going to make people wealthy overnight because those don't exist. Yeah, well, I, mean, um, I can imagine those those banks were probably what you would call liquid either. Like, I, I probably cash, not. Yeah, you know, like they, I, you know, the state prior to opening up ran the banks. They probably didn't keep a lot of it. You know, uh, there'd be no cash. reason to. Yeah, the, so their money isn't going to be used anywhere else. It has no intrinsic value. Yeah, you know, so now you have people like. <laughs> Doing a bank rush, like, yo, man, let me let me get a loan so I can go. Uh, I'm, I'm heading up to Belgrade to buy a Yugo. You know, like yeah. I gotta. <laughs> well, there's like something that the Soviets ran into a problem too. Is like when it came to doing international deals, like the ruble wasn't convertible. Yeah, because it wasn't based on anything, which is why they ended up trading battleships for Pepsi. Yeah, I mean the the Pepsi Navy, man. That's yeah. one one of one of the finer episodes in your, <laughs> your uh, arsenal there, but. Uh, I went digging more into that, which is fucking dumbfounded that, you know, soda companies had uh, larger navies than some fucking. Yeah, it's incredible. (laughs) Now, this is where the disruptors turn in. And by disruptors, I mean money launderers and the mob. Um, Now, people realize like, wow, our three banks in Albania simply can't handle this kind of business. Let's do banking. There was no law saying they couldn't. Uh, they didn't just like start banks. They weren't like, we're a bank now. Yeah. Uh, but they did frame themselves as legitimate banks and uh, loaners and, or like money loaners and investment firms. And they did this by simply saying they were. There was yeah. no law saying they couldn't. Um, now, none of these places were actually banks or investment groups, um, but they did market themselves as one. So they told people, including the Albanian fucking government, that you can invest in us and we'll promise a 10% return on your investment. Now, if that sounds really high, it is. That's actually the most realistic they would go soon when people were literally pouring money into them because they didn't realize any, anything bad was happening. Um, they were promising 30, a hundred, 500%. It's like, yeah, it, it's incredible. Like numbers that are not real. Like, yeah, we can promise a fucking 800% return on your investment for sure, bro. Just give me all your money. Oh, Man, dude, they quickly realized they could simply lie and nobody would arrest them. <laughs> like nobody's coming for. And then when they did, like also the cops were investing their money. The soldiers were investing their every aspect of Albanian society quickly became involved in one or more of these. As people assume they were religious, because people were asking like Barisha, especially like the IMF was like, you have to fucking tell people to stop. Like even the IMF or the international monetary funds, like this is going to end badly. Like yeah, you need it, to tell people that these do not work and shut them down. Yeah. But, if the IMF is telling you it's bad, it's probably bad because there's no larger group of opportunistic fuck sticks than the IMF. Yeah. They're like, wait, we can't steal that money. They need to give that money to us because on, the, on these loans that we gave them. And yeah. that's probably what it was more like, but you know, Barisha either, just didn't talk about them um, or patently endorse them. So it gave them an air of legitimacy. So the people who are kind of on the fence, just pouring money into this shit. Now in a place, uh, there's, there's a good reason for this. Now remember these, uh, the, the Albanian people are, are, are not stupid. They are being exploited. That's something I need to play. I need to explain. These are people who do not know better. They're not stupid. They just are getting played by people who have done this so many times. Like 
we talked about Bernie Madoff. He played people who were supposed to be smart, remember? But nobody considered these people stupid, right? Albanians yeah. got played. They got exploited by people who were professionals. Yeah, um, I mean, like you, you already said it. They, they didn't grow up in the free market. You know, they grew up in a very insular, you know, locked off country where yeah. every, everything was provided by the state. And if you don't know, you don't know. Like that's just, <laughs> and there's always going to be people out there that take advantage of people that don't know. Always. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, you know, they assumed that, uh, why would these people lie to me? Yeah. You know, straight up. And there's another good reason for this. When these people were promised a free market capitalist American dream, effectively. And most of these people lived on the equivalent of $50 a month. So like the idea that th- that you know they could be living like th- they were even in Western Europe was just an unfathomable amount of of wealth and prosperity to them. Yeah. So they fell for it. They they got fucking snookered. Um nobody even people who didn't want to invest didn't want to be the one person who was wrong effectively. So people sold their homes, their cars, emptied their savings. Uh, and in some places where they didn't have um, liquid cash or things, they could simply deposit their livestock, which would then be sold off. Oh, shit. So the, they, they weren't just penniless yeah. at the end of this. They literally had nothing. Yeah. They took every. You could show up with fucking a, a, your microwave ripped off the wall. They're like, yeah, sure. Fine. They didn't give a fuck. God damn free. Like, it, that, it, like, you know, when the, when the wall came down and the Soviet Union fell, I was like 10 or 11. And I remember seeing it on TV. And as a 10 year old, you know, 10, 11 year old kid, you're like, wow, man, this is great. And then as you get older and hear about what happened to all these countries that had state economies that, you know, Friedman and Kissinger and all those types of assholes essentially forced, uh, you know, through things, you know, things like the WTO and the IMF. And you see the after effects. You're just like, dude, how how is that okay? You know, like how is that fucking okay? Line needs to go up, man. Hey, yeah, uh, gotta gotta have the stonks. They gotta yeah, they gotta keep going up, man. You know, it's people like you know the Freemans, the Kissingers, especially. They don't see people like they don't see the guy who is literally turning over his entire life into some mafia controlled money laundering scheme. They see, you know the investments from going into Albania and stripping this country down to the fucking bone, because it's not like there's no oil here. There's no natural gas. You're not fucking take, you're just taking anything that holds up this country for short term gain. That's all it is. Cause Albania is still dealing with the debt, with the downfall. This is when we're alive. This is happening in the fucking nineties. Like shit like this does not go away in 30 years. Yeah. Like, the great great grandkids will be dealing with this, da- like the after effects of this, simply because like you couldn't bother to extend a helping hand to countries who are t- trying to open up a little bit. Rather, you had you had to be like, no, you need to like go full dick and balls capitalism, or we're not going to even give you any IMF funds because you want to build a school or whatever. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. Anyway, <sighs> now this is about where any. Even corrupt government would be like, okay, we need to slow this shit down. Um, maybe, you know, don't be so obvious about it. Um, but they didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, that was yeah. 
the one economic advisor in the government that did be like, hey, you know, I get it. We're all making money, but like we should probably stop that. He got his ass thrown in prison. Uh, when the IMF warned that, like, you know, we've done some investigations and this is all a money laundering scheme. They were uh, accused of being jealous of Albania's rapid success. Oh, my God. Uh, now, uh, most of this money is being laundered straight out of the country. Um, but other parts of it is used to fuel gun, drug and oil smuggling operations controlled by the mafia and, me- and members of the government. Uh, and a lot of those guns would go right next door into all the Balkans wars where they would use be used to do all sorts of horrible crimes against humanity. Uh Damn. Another effect of this clusterfuck was most jobs in, in, in employment sectors within Albania got torpedoed. Now, there's a reason for this. Um, state factories could, can't compete with outside goods. Yep. Um, and now that price controls were gone and the factories were no longer being propped up by state subsidies, they just collapsed. As the entire economy, as it previ- previously existed, just died. Uh, but this is also how jobs were promised like in Albania before this um, they're like, Oh yeah, you'll just go get a job at the factory or you'll work on the state farm or this, that the state has a job for you. Um, Now all those are gone. They're gone. And there's nothing, nothing has replaced it. Those factories haven't been privatized. They haven't been sold off some because they're functionally worthless. Yeah. You know, Um, I see. I was curious about that, whether they had uh, like some of those, you know, mafia types went and bought some of them um, as like fronts. Um, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I did that whole, you know, my whole stream about the coal strike and what, you know, Thatcher did to the coal industry, you know, by mass, you know, massively privatizing it in the years after the 8045 coal strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you saw, I think it was like 166,000 coal workers or members of the union. And by n- the late 90s, there was only 200 members, you know, so like, uh, you know, yeah. that kind of massive privatization, you know, someone's going to benefit. And I was just curious whether, you know, that happened in Albania, but apparently not. Well, apparently I mean, not. maybe if they had coal, um, I, yeah. I think the problem was, is because Albania was so closed off um, and these factories had, you know, a, you know, an incredibly insular economy to, to tend to, no matter what, uh, they always had customers, right? Because they're the yeah. only game in town. Um, but now when the economy opens up, one thing that does happen is, is because from the outside looking in, uh, Albania's economy does like it, like it's doing very well. Um, you know, much like, you know, a pump and dump of a stock does like, Oh shit. Look, look how much GameStop is worth. Yeah. It's worth $500 a share now. Yeah. So like from the outside, it's like, man, Albania is really turning around. So like outside goods were coming in. Uh, however, that did have the downside effect of like, well, now nobody has money because they invested it all and they don't have jobs, so they can't buy those goods either. Yeah. But uh, most of it came down to all of the factories were being propped up by the state. And since that was gone, the factories collapsed. And maybe in a situation like that, the mafia would have bought them. But doing what everybody else is doing in regards to drugs, oil and gun running, using people's retirement pensions was a much more lucrative job yeah. to have. Um, now, like what always happens with Ponzi schemes like this is either people decide they want to cash in or, uh, you run out of suckers. Uh, you know, you run out, out of your, your vampiric pool. These schemes ran by multiple companies within Albania for years. 
unimpeded. And by 1997, they had finally drained the nation dry. At this point, two-thirds of the Albanian population had some form of money put into them, most of it a large portion. Wow. The companies wow. declared bankruptcy, denied investors access to their own money, and when everything finally went tips, tits up, they took half of the entire nation's wealth and fucked off out of Albania. What? Yep. Oh, my gosh. So seemingly overnight, these guys robbed the country blind and left it entirely broke. People were rightfully pissed, uh, assuming that these things were legit and backed up by the government. They're like, well, we need to get our fucking money back from the government. They took to the streets and began to protest, though, despite Albania's so-called move to democracy, protesting was actually illegal. Um, Of course it was. Of course it was. (laughs) This led to a brutal crackdown. Uh, And as most things happen, that only made the protests spread wider. Now, not only were they mad about companies that fucked them, they were now mad at the government. Protests swept through the south of the country, and soon thousands of students were hunger striking and setting shit on fire. Though things truly went off the rails when protesters decided to arm themselves at weapons depots that were left completely unguarded by the government. The people of Albania went from being almost entirely unarmed to being obsessed with acquiring as many guns as they could as fast as they could. They became a little bit American, actually, that day. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Washington Post even published a picture of people playing pool with guns instead of cues, which admittedly (laughs) sounds pretty rad. Yeah, it Um, (laughs) It was estimated that at the peak of this crisis, every male between the ages of 10 and up owned at least one gun and a nearly endless amount of ammunition. So it's Texas. Yeah, it's Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually, all of these various groups merged together to create various loosely defined militias awash with new guns, and they began to march north towards the capital to demand Barisha step down. At this point, the south of the country was virtually abandoned by the government. And uh, all attempts to stop this unrest, which is rapidly turning into a straight-up civil war, stopped. At this point, the answer, if you're Barisha, is, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, (laughs) Russia will probably take me in. I need to go. Um, (laughs) Instead, in the north of the company, where the capital is, the government opened its doors uh, to the depots where the rest of the weapons were hidden. And began handing them out to anybody who is still loyal to the government. This oh. is like a step-by-step guide how to create a, like a sectarian civil war. Yes, that's it is. It's it's literally a, what, it, what do they call it? A, a white paper on how to do. <laughs> <laughs> when you Google how to do civil war, just Barisha's picture pops up, like, <laughs> giving you the finger guns. Uh, he's probably in a tracksuit too, you know. <laughs> So that did not stop people from simply breaking into other depots uh, at one point. Because uh, remember, they're breaking into weapons stores that have not been upkept or yeah. maintained in any way. So, I mean, just like the fucking bunker with mustard gas in it. Uh, at one point, somebody tried to pry open the doors uh, to a depot and it failed. So they blew the hinges off, which led to a chain explosion with the oh. hundreds of tons of explosive explosives within the depot, which went off and then killed 200 people. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, man. It's at this point, you're probably wondering how the fuck the situation could possibly get any worse. And that I say, you must be new here. <laughs> 
now people had become very, very poor overnight. We're now heavily armed. So they began robbing and stealing everything they could. At one point, a group attacked the state treasury with an anti-tank rocket. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is that is glorious is what that is. Like when if, if that's how I picture my revolution, like someone shooting the like Fort Knox <laughs> doors with a fucking like shoulder fired fired weapon, man. Oh, yeah. They made off with around six million dollars. Another group of heavily armed militiamen or bandits or bank robbers, whatever, made off with the treasury deposits made out of gold uh, in the amount of 749 pounds. Uh, I did the math and that equals out to be around 19 million dollars. Oh, man. Dude, Both that of is... these things were the only cash reserves left in the country. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's fucking that's crazy. Oh, now, unfortunately, when you quite literally rob the country blind, what was left of it? Like at this point, it, like the house has been robbed, like the TVs have been stolen. Uh, your stereo is ripped out. But now, like you're just peeling the copper wire from the walls. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the state has, is, is functionally just flat broke, meaning they could no longer pay their cops or soldiers. Now, also, most of those cops and soldiers also had money invested and they were also broke. So like there wasn't like the cops versus the civilians because a lot of the cops switched sides and also sort of the soldiers. Pretty much the only ones left were the guys like, if I turn now, they'll fucking shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just got to ride this out. Keep my head down. Ride it out. Keep my head down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, the government ceased to have any real control over the country. Um, though there was like squads of cops that still attempted to raid homes um, to like try to keep uh, gang leaders out of the capital and stuff. Though at one point, prison guards simply unlocked all the doors to their prison and went home because <laughs> they were getting paid. Like fuck this, we outie. Um, oh, I respect it. I'm not gonna lie. If yeah, I'm, I mean, if I'm, if I'm not getting paid. I'm not doing shit either. Yeah, uh, this freed a lot of regular prisoners. Like you know the ones that you'd expect to be in prison, but also a lot of political ones as well to include a guy named Fatos Nano, who was the head of the socialist party uh, who went South where there were this, the socialist party had most of their uh, power base. And that's, this is when new elections began to be demanded. Now I titled this script, the time a pyramid scheme caused a civil war. However, it's kind of hard to classify this as an outright civil war uh, because what instead you saw, like what, what you'll read is like people's like, oh, it's anarchy. But that's not what anarchy is. No, this is just lawlessness. Yeah. <laughs> um, like there was militia groups allied to political groups like the Socialist Party, for instance. Um, but there also was not. Um, bandits called themselves rebels and rebels who were not much better than bandits also called themselves rebels. Then there's also just flat out fucking street gangs and mafia groups. Uh, people stole, kidnapped and robbed people at street signs or at street corners. Uh, obviously all of the societal collapse led to a refugee crisis, uh, much like what you see today. Uh, this caused tens of thousands of people to flee over the sea into Italy. Not the greatest place to go to. If you're a Muslim refugee, unfortunately, uh, and like I said, things were not t 
really a full scale civil war, but it was maybe quickly heading in that direction. Yeah. Uh, the rebels were in small, really non-cohesive groups. There's really no military offensives. Um, like at one point, uh, Nano or th- one of the other socialist leaders was like accused the government of sending jets to bomb the South. Those jets then like ran to Italy, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But also like when they landed, the pilots like, no, we don't have bombs. They didn't give us any fucking weapons. Oh my gosh, dude. So it's hard to say like if the like at this point it's mostly like very small u- small unit level police based violence. Yeah. Um no real civil war. It's it's weird. Well, just like anything in the Balkans, it's it's confused. It's very conflicted and very sectarian. So like it's this is, seems pretty par for the course, you know. This is very much a north versus south um divide, uh mostly because uh, Hoksha and Barisha were from the north of the country, uh, where the vast majority of the limited inf- infrastructure and favors and things. So the south, the south felt left out. Okay, um, but they they would still consider themselves same religion, same ethnic group. Everything is very much a north north v south situation. Um, but there was no like the socialist party's local militia. Like we're gonna surround this village and take it over. Like this shit doesn't happen. Um, there was spats of violence against government agents like cops and soldiers, uh, but there was also gang on gang violence with like literal children with AKs and tanks setting up checkpoints to rob one another and occasionally light someone on fire. Bro, can you imagine getting shook down by a kid in a tank? There, would, there's a video. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'll, I'll, when this episode comes out, I'll put it in the in the comment section. But there's a video of like these kids with handguns, PKMs, and AKs, like sitting on like a BMP, and it's obvious that they didn't actually know how how to fire a weapon. Um, because like one of them finally does fire their AK, they all just like wince and hide. <laughs> like, oh, you're just a little guy. Um, oh. It was less of a civil war and more a random explosion of anger, lawlessness, and violence uh, with random groups fighting each other over scraps of turf rather than the government. The government, for its part, really only tried to send cops and uh, soldiers after armed groups in the north because they're like, we're not going to the fucking south. Fuck that. Oh, yeah. In the South, so-called committees for public salvation were formed to mediate the violence somewhat. These were mostly ran by the Socialist Party, though some some were not ran by the party. Um, And these were not all over the place. In some areas, these public salvation committees weren't formed, and it was a free-for-all. Okay. Uh, You'd just be at the mercy of those kids from the first Hostel movie, I guess. Uh, Within a year of this, Italy declared a state of emergency due to the amount of refugees that were crossing the sea. They also deployed their navy to board and turn back ships carrying refugees, which is a very shitty thing to do. Don't do that. No, no. That God damn it, Italy. <laughs> Why do you have to be assholes? <laughs> like, like we always say here, time is a big flat dumb circle. Yep. Uh, you see a lot of the same shit then as you do today uh, in the Mediterranean with refugees coming from like Libya or other places in Africa, the Italian press framed it as an Islamic invasion. And some people call the Albanians barbarians. Now the Italian government offered Albania money in exchange for an agreement 
they, that if they sent everyone back to Albania that tried to cross the ocean, they would be arrested and not allowed to come back. This meant they effectively made a handshake agreement to create a humanitarian nightmare yeah. just so they didn't have too many Muslims coming to uh, Italy. You know, now, another problem with boarding all of these ships, there's a fuckload of them to the point that they ran out of ships in Albania, uh, is that accidents can happen. In one situation of March of 1998, while boarding one of these ships, an Italian naval, naval vessel straight up rammed into a refugee boat, killing 80 people. And then those you know, two Air Force pilots just flew into Italy, which is really weird when you think about it, because they declared a, a, um, a state of emergency, like you know, the state of Italy is in dire danger. Two jets just casually <laughs> fucking flew over there. <laughs> And landed in the airport and be like, we came from Albania. <laughs> hey, like, every- hey, everybody. <laughs> this wasn't an emergency. You're just racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, Italy's got a horrible track record with shit like that, man. You know, oh, it, God, yeah. It, it's yeah. so bad, dude. And, and Europe in general does. But yeah. like the Mediterranean bordering countries, some of the fucking worst. Yeah. Stranding refugees on boats where there's no running water or food or anything just like yeah we have to simply uh categorize them first like you're there's 10,000 people there and you're going purposely slow yeah. to to make these people suffering even worse or worse yet you send them back to Libya where they're going to be trafficked or yeah. back to fucking in this case Albania where the government's probably going to rob them from every from all of their worldly possessions they just brought with them or that they'll get kidnapped by the fucking mafia and had to be sold back to their families. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's the thing too. You, it, you, you, we see, we're seeing huge numbers of Albanians trying to cross the, you know, the waters there. Um, you know, what was, I, I don't know if you dug it up, but like, what was the percentage of the population that tried to, to leave? It was a very large number. Yeah. I mean, it's a population of only 2 million people. Yeah. Give or take. So like thousands of people leaving is, substantial um now several nations launched their own operations to get citizens out of the situation that was getting worse by the day uh now these were not necessarily humanitarian operations but they were not invasions either uh the u.s launched operation silver wake uh which you know to evacuate embassy staff and any american citizens that wanted to leave um their helicopters as they flew in were shot at by somebody and nobody's entirely sure who uh, and the, and the everything going on the ground was so chaotic that uh, General Peter Pace, who was the man in charge of the operation, told forces not to return fire uh, because there was a better chance that some teenage Albanian gangsters wildly firing into the air and then just randomly hit a helicopter on accident. than like they were attempted to be shot down by organized opposition. Yeah. Like, it's not worth it. Just don't shoot back. Yeah. Hey, you know, he's, he's sitting there talking about this, but do not create an international incident, asshole. Do not Which do this. An incredible <laughs> amount of restraint I don't expect to see from the U.S. military I was in, certainly. Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I agree with you. But then again, you know, helicopter pilots were, were either, for me anyway, from my experience, they were either beautiful things that shot things from overhead because I was getting shot at, or, you know, these were people that you know, we're like, oh, man, it's kind of dusty. We're not flying today. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, the German military also launched their own, which is shocking for the late 90s, called Operation LaBelle. And they were not so lucky. 
Around 25 German soldiers aboard helicopters led in to evacuate their citizens when armed civilians riding atop armored vehicles began shooting at the civilians they were attempting to evacuate. Though their aim was so bad, they apparently didn't even manage to wound anybody. The Germans returned fire and managed to uh, escape with only one lightly damaged helicopter after rescuing about 100 people. Um, I believe this is one of the first offensive German operations in Europe since World War II. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. um, eventually, the UN Security Council adopted Resolution 1101, which would establish an international protection force to bring about the situation, um, uh, bring an end to the situation, as well as distribute humanitarian aid. And this is the first time I think I've ever said this about a UN operation on the history of the show. This actually went really well. Oh, I'm shocked. I was going to say UN actions in the late 90s were not what you would call uh, good or successful. <laughs> this, this might be a situation of like UN history. We're like, you throw enough shit to the wall, see what sticks. We finally did some good. Look, we did that thing. <laughs> now, the reason for this was mostly and surprisingly Italy. Um, now, the same country that had originally invaded Albania to start this entire episode uh, Italy rightly figured that if they didn't figure something out with Albania, they'd be dealing with way more refugees um, than they were currently at the moment. And obviously, like we said, fueled by a healthy dose of racism. Absolutely. Now, Italy wasn't acting altruistically by any means, as no Asian ever does. The uh, incident where their Navy kind of murdered 80 people really made them look bad. Uh, and their operation to blockade Albania was not really doing much to stop the flood of refugees. And also it was illegal. And the UN kept telling him to cut that shit out. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Italy. Just fuck you. Yeah. Man. Now, the reason why is because like, obviously a blockade is an act of war. Right. Yeah. Um, and they got around that by making a handshake agreement that with the government of Albania, like, no, 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 no. They agreed. This is fine. It's not an act of war. We're good. Yeah. And the UN's like, no, you can't fucking do that. <laughs> it's not like they're going to hold them accountable. It's the UN, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The secretary general's like wagging his finger at the premier of Italy. Like, no, no, yeah. no. We're going to write you a sternly worded letter. Yeah. Uh, that, that the security council will then veto. Yes. <laughs> um, now, another thing factoring into all this is while Albania collapsed and like I said, a full scale civil war hadn't actually started yet. Uh, they had Italy was really worried one was coming um, and they probably weren't wrong. They figured correctly and somewhat intelligently that if we intervene now, we can stop a civil war from happening. Yeah. Like shit is burning down all over the place and children are robbing people and setting people on fire and shit. It's a nightmare. However, we can stop a fucking civil war from happening. Um and not to mention, they're very close by. They're going to catch the blowback from that should that yep. occur. Yeah, and we, we all know Italians don't want to catch blowback, man. They're, they're not that business. <laughs> this is the, at, at this part, I'm surprised that the, Italy didn't actually surrender and join Albania. <laughs> um, now, this is normally where I say the UN forces fucked up and got bogged down to 10 years of sectarian conflict or whatever, but that didn't happen. Uh, in March of 1997, around 7,500 UN soldiers, most of them Italian, landing unopposed in the secured capital of Tirana. Um, now, say unopposed, they did come like at the agreement of the Albanian government. Like, 
Marisha is like, yeah, sure. Who, by the way, he's still fucking there somehow. How? <laughs> how? I was ready to ask. Like, how is Marisha, you know, if he was still there and how, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he was like, yeah, sure. Come on in. I would love for you to help secure this place. Now, his thing was, we need the UN here to secure Albania so we can have elections, which, of course, he thought he was going to win. Of course. Yeah. Um, because he's been doing such a good job, obviously. Hey, listen, he's, he's doing A plus work, you know, A plus for no. a leader. <laughs> he realized quickly that, like, the only way to, to secure Albania is to find all these fucking guns. Like, you can't have every male with 10 and up having an AK at home and expect this shit not to happen. Um, <laughs> and they did. Um, now, a lot of them at this point made their way over the border to Kosovo, where they'd be used by the uh, Kosovo Liberation Army. Yep. Uh, but they did a pretty good job at tracking most of these weapons down. Now, a lot of that was through a buyback program, which works when everybody's piss poor and has a lot of guns. Yeah. Like, if you show up with an APC and 20 AKs, we'll buy them from you. And it's like, <laughs> let's go! <laughs> you, could sell, you could sell 20 AKs, but still have one underneath them, you know, your bed at home, you know? Right. Oh. Uh. Now, another thing they did was train and equip the Albanian security forces. Remember, most of which who had fucked off and gone home. Yeah. So they like they started reinstituting government institutions like prisons, cops and soldiers that so like, you know, you couldn't Tokyo drift a T-55 through the middle of the street. while <laughs> you know, pretending an AK is a cock and firing into the air. <laughs> I would do that. Oh, dude. Yeah, I, <laughs> That's I, my I, dream. I, I want to see the 12 year old like trying to see over like the the windscreen of a BMP, like trying to see <laughs> just a stack of AKs. So he can like boost himself up. Now in June, that same year elections were held. Um, and remember this is March of 90, uh, 97 when the UN operation started off. This is now June of 97. Now, normally when I say this, you're like, I assume it's five years later. This is in a couple months. Elections are held. The Socialist Party wins and Barisha decides he can't work with them. He resigns. Something he probably should have done years ago. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Then in August, again, in 97, all international troops went home. Holy shit. That's like the right? most. <laughs> right? Has the UN ever just stayed a few months in a place? You know? No, never. <laughs> There's still fucking UN troops in the Congo, which like, admittedly, they should be. There's a problem there. Yeah. Uh, UN troops aren't going to fix that problem. But, you know, like there's been UN troops in places for decades. Yeah. And I know my brain is poisoned by the, you know, forever war that we fight in. But like the idea that like, no, we got here in March. We're leaving in August. Bye. Like blows my fucking mind. Dude, Absolutely mind blowing. I can't imagine that. Like, I, I think you're right. We both we've both been poisoned by, you know, uh, the war that's almost old enough to drink, you know, like, it's yeah. <laughs> like the idea of like a limited war is just like blowing. I like you say what you will about the legality and morality of like, say, invading Grenada or whatever, which was bad. But like, last like three fucking weeks. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. Dude, I if mean, we did that shit now, my kids would be stationed there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or you'd be going like if you're still in, you'd be going to war. Uh, with your son, which for yeah. whatever reason, you know, the U.S. Army thought was a great PR stunt. I'm like, this, this is not good, guys. This is actually <laughs> really fucking bad. <laughs> oh, I love that. Every time like a public affairs officer posts a picture of 
three generations of soldiers at like Bagram Airfield. I'm like, oof, <laughs> don't, don't, don't understand the optics of that one, but yep. okay. Yep. Well, well done, PAO. Well done. And like, obviously Albania is dealing with a horrible fallout from this stuff, but like when the international troops left, it was done. It's fixed. Um, the fighting, at least the, the obvious violence was over. So yeah. you'd like, then you can work forward towards reconciliation and hopefully stabilizing society again. But you can't do that while people are, you know, flipping a bitch in a BMP and like you know, <laughs> firing rockets every which direction like a fucking video game. Fucking robbing banks. <laughs> yeah. Robbing banks with a goddamn anti-tank missile. <laughs> now, by the end of all this, around 2,000 people died in the fighting. Uh, and of course, because this is the world that we live in, Nobody who had anything to do with the destruction of the country or the exploitation of an entire population and the export of an entire nation's wealth faced anything resembling uh, comeuppance. Nobody's ever been prosecuted. Everybody escaped justice. And uh, yeah, dude, well, you know, that's a great way to, you know, finish up this little story. (laughs) God, We, we do have. Something. I, I can change the topic, bring it back around. All right, hear me out. Mike, we do something on this podcast called Questions from the Legion. Ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. I, had, I had a banger last time I was on. Um, so yeah. if you'd like to ask us a question from the Legion, subscribe to the Patreon, uh, which is not a pyramid scheme, I should point out. Uh, <laughs> bad example for a guy who lives on the Patreon. Um, <laughs> and you can email me, slide into the Discord, my DMs, email. I don't know, attach a letter to a mongoose and let it go across the Wahoo Hawaii. It'll eventually find me. Yeah. There's a lot of mongoose here. Yeah. Let let it let her in a bottle, man. Just slide yeah. it in there, float it over. Joe will get it eventually. <laughs> go to the borders of California or Washington, load a message into a howitzer and fire it into the sky in my direction. <laughs> um then I'll answer on the show. All those are very bad. Don't do any of those except the, the digital ones. Please yeah. don't hit my house with an artillery shell. <laughs> now, um, so this week's is if you were given. Oh, first of all, I have to explain. Giant battleships are good again. That has to be good. Um, oh. If you were to get to name the next functional, it says U.S. fleet carrier. I'll just say any big battleship. What name would you give it? Ooh. Um. Dude, I'm gonna have to go obnoxious here. Uh, we'll go. We'll do ironic first and say, uh, you know, the S, you know, USS Eugene Debs. I think would be a good one. <laughs> that would be so fucked. The guy who got thrown in prison because of the military gets a fucking ship named after himself. Uh, and he was also not a big fan of the military either. Uh, so I no. think that would be a big fuck you to the military higher ups. But. Um, after oh. seeing a whole bunch of really angry old Vietnam veterans, I would name a battleship after Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a, that is a really good one. Or. Ooh, Bo Bergdahl be a solid one, too. Yeah. Or let, let's go just piss off all the conservatives and name it after, uh, like, Cesar Chavez, you know, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I want to name uh, an Intel craft after Chelsea Manning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love you, Chelsea, but I know everybody fucking hates you and I know it'd make them very angry. Oh, God. Yeah, see, that, that's where I'm at in my life. If it pisses off anybody in the military, I'm all for it. Like, um, it's just like the, we always we used to name boats after dumb things. But now, like, you know, 
Hey, one of the worst name ships ever is like the Sullivan Brothers. Yeah. And it's not because like the story behind it, which is obviously tragic, yeah. uh, but it's like the USS the Sullivan, Sullivan Brothers. Like that doesn't just flow off the tongue. Like, oh, let's go. Oh, I'm on the Sullivan Brothers. That sounds like <laughs> you're in a brother based fuck fest. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you got you had that long line of naming it after cities. So how about like, uh, you know, like the USS Akron, like some shit city in the Rust Belt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that, that, that's uh, that always like made me mad because they're like, oh yeah, uh, we're gonna name it like the USS Detroit or Cleveland or any of these other things that are just. It harkens back to that time that they like, built an aircraft carrier battleship on the two out of like metal from the World Trade Center. Oh God, I remember. It's like, what are you gonna do? Build a fucking aircraft carrier out of old, uh, abandoned car factories? Like it's the Detroit. <laughs> we did it. Or maybe this ship just takes on like the the tenor of the town, you know, like it's just depressed and run down, and nobody wants oh, to do man. anything. <laughs> It'd just be a whole boat for a drunk people doing opiates. <laughs> then again, that could be any boat named after any city in the Midwest. That's, yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, the USS Rust Belt. <laughs> people making toilet wine just because that's the only thing to drink on the entire boat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, we've been at this for almost two hours. You can yeah. use uh, and I've had my puppy in this room with me the whole time. That was the squeaking that you just heard. Um, and he's running at, at his end of patience. Use this last couple seconds um, to plug your show. OK, so I am the host of the You Don't Know History podcast, where I sit down with one uh, subject matter expert, people much smarter than me, and I ask them questions about a certain topic. It's not uh, entirely this, true. I've been on that show. Well, dude, let's face it. Not many people know about Armenia. So like, I felt like having a man who is, you know, very proud of his heritage and knows what he was talking about. That was, and it was actually a brilliant first episode. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure that you are the reason I, I had so many ears to listen to it early on. Um, so I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, like I do, it's not just like history stuff, but like, you know, I did a history of the, International Olympic Committee, the Olympics, a couple episodes ago. And this week we're doing the history of, of policing in the American South. So, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be grim. Yeah. Uh, but I do have a big guest coming on next month uh, to do a lighter topic. But, you know, as it gets closer and we, we lock down the interview day, I'll, I'll put it out there. But yeah, so you can find me on Patreon uh, at You Don't Know History Pod. I'm uh, you know, the, the pods on all the major carriers. And uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at BeardCynic473, where you'll get my love of socialism, my shitty comic book and sports takes, and just overall general Clevelandness uh, and the occasional shouting at Joe for hating on Ohio so much. You shouldn't be so easy to hate. Yeah, God, it's, dude, I'm from Ohio and I'm starting to hate it. <laughs> oh, I just remembered a message from my producer and collaborators um i'm not sure if that's the word that i should use collaborator that sounds bad um <laughs> we now have pins and patches uh for sale on the hell of a way to die store um so if you have designs you like uh, like the corpse road one uh we have the danzig mailman design um the mongoose flag design all those patches and pins and stuff you cannot get those on our teespring you have to go to the hell of a way to die store because teespring does not do does not do that stuff um, and I'll put that link in the show notes. So check those out. I almost forgot again. I did it. 
You got to plug it. me this time. I, I bought this time. I bought the Danzig uh, sticker, man. So that's oh, they're so fucking cool. They're way cooler than anything I've ever made before. And I did not make those <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> taking credit for it. Uh, so, Mike, thank you. It's always a good time. Uh, and until next time, um, I don't know. Don't do shock doctrine. We love you, Albania. <laughs> oh, dude, you know what would be great is if you went to Albania, you did a remote show from one of the bunkers. Oh, that'd be fucking magnificent. 